and he and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all these, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman had said. But him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, Oh, you foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and, and he acted as though that he were still going further. But they urged him and said, Stay with us, for it is getting towards evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it. And breaking it, he, gave, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were our hearts not burning within us while we were, he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they, they found, gathered together the eleven and those who were with them and saying, the Lord really has risen and he's appeared to Simon. And they began to relate to one another on the road how he was recognized by them by the breaking of the bread. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why does doubt arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and their amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophet and the psalm must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending you forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity and the privilege to come together in your name as your people and to study your word. You know each and every man and woman in this room. You know the state of our hearts. 
You know the state of our relationship with you. You know our needs before we can even fathom them. And so, Father, I pray in in the name of your son, Jesus, and through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will use this time that we have together today to do just for us what you did for your disciples. You will open our eyes so that we might understand and see you in the scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want us to remember that these disciples are walking down the road and they are broken. They are broken because all of their dreams, all of their hopes, all of what they thought were their plan, the God's plan for them, had just disappeared. We all have these ideas of what God's going to do for us or what our life's going to look like. And the reality is none of us know. That's God's decree. That's God's providence. That's God's plan. And we're just walking it. And so often the very things that we think we need, the very things that we think are going to happen are just the opposite of what transpires. We need to learn to trust in God. And the reality is, is that God's plan was completely in place. He cried, it is finished on the cross. He had come and accomplished what he came to do. And in the disciples' eyes, it looked like he was dying. But in reality, he was conquering death. And because of their sadness, because of their doubts, because of their unbelief, because of their unwillingness to trust and believe in him, they were now saddened. And they couldn't see the beauty of his for their lives because of their own shattered dreams. How often we, th- we think about the diseases and the sicknesses that we go through, the, the terrible things that we see happen to our family and to our friends, and what we forget to realize is, is that nothing that's happened in your life has caught God by surprise. He's not up in heaven right now pulling his hair going, oh no, what am I going to do about this? God's plan is completely in place. It's been fixed since the foundation of the world. And there is nothing that we should worry about as long as we are walking with and trusting Him. But when we don't, when things don't go the way that we plan, when things don't work out the way we think they should, we do become sad, don't we? We become like little children that don't get their way. And these two disciples are walking down the road and they're very sad. And they come to Jesus comes up and appears to them. And I want you to look what it says. Their eyes were prevented... From recognizing him. Many times in our lives. The circumstances and the things that we are going through in our lives. Our own doubts and our own belief. Our lack of faith. Prevent us from seeing him. Now he said this to them. What are these words which you are exchanging? How often when things don't go our way. Do we sit around and discuss them. And try to figure it out. and, And try to rationalize what's happening. And he said what are these words? And so often our speculations and and our gossiping and our uh, uh, misunderstandings and our our little chatty conversations are so far off target that they're just words. Jesus said, what are these words? What are these words that you're, you're discussing? And look what they said. One of them, Cleopas, answered to him and said... Are you the only person in all of Jerusalem that is not aware of what has happened? Now think about the irony of that. He's the only one in Jerusalem that knows what's happened. He's the only person that realizes what's actually taking place. And because they're standing still and looking sad, 
What did he say? What did they say? Are, are you the only person who don't realize what's going on? Hey, God, look at the news. Look what's going on in this world around us. Look at these wars and, and look at these earthquakes and these famines and, and all of this craziness and this chaos going on around us. Are you the only one that don't understand what's going on here? But we, rem- we need to remember that part of God's plan was that Jesus would clothe himself in humanity. Yes. That the Son of God would clothe himself in humanity and walk among us so that he could relate to us. So that when we pray to him and ask him, don't you know how I feel? He can say, yeah, I do. Right? And so we need to understand that Jesus clothed himself in humanity to walk among us, not only so that he could know how we feel and he could relate to us, but so that we could grasp him and understand him and appreciate him and love him. God is so big that our minds, our, 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 our hearts can't fathom how wonderful he is. And so what did he do? He sent a son who clothed himself in humanity and said, here I am. Here is your God. And so they, they, they're the only, he, they, he's the only one that doesn't know what's going on. Well, he said to them, what things? What, what are you talking about? And they said to him, the thing about Jesus and neither, the prophet mighty indeed and word in the sight of God and all the people, how the chief priest and the rulers delivered him uh, to the sentence of death and crucified him. Watch, but they said, but we, but we were hoping that it, it was he who was going to redeem us, to redeem Israel. They were hoping that he was going to redeem them. They were living under the oppression of heavy taxation and a Roman government that was authoritative and, and demanding upon them. And they, they weren't free to practice their religion in the way that they would like to. And they weren't free to, to enjoy their lives the way that they felt they, they could. And, and not only that, they weren't the boss. Yes. And they were looking for this Messiah who was going to come in riding on a horse with a sword and conquer Rome conquer Caesar, put all of the world down at his feet, and then set them up as the rulers of the world. Yes. Amen. And it didn't work out the way that they planned. He was supposed to come and redeem Israel. He did. See, these Israelites should have known that in the book of Leviticus it says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Amen. Yes. And by his blood, he purchased a people for himself. Did y'all notice that song we were singing today? All hail the power of Jesus' name? Yes. It said something on there. It said, ye chosen seed of Israel, ye ransom from the fall. Yes. Hail him who saved you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. You see, there's a bigger picture, a bigger Israel. The seed, the promised seed. And when Jesus died on that cross, he was dying to save a people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation to be his children. Amen. And through that death on that cross, he did redeem his people. Yes. But that redemption doesn't look like a redemption that they were we, they expected or that we can appreciate. See, we want somebody to come in and take away all of our sickness and all of our disease and all of our sadness and all of our sorrow. But we are fallen men in a fallen world. 
Jesus actually said, you're always going to have the poor with you. Didn't he? But it's through these trials, through these sufferings, through these pains, through these sorrows that we learn to stop depending upon ourselves and turn and trust him and what he has done for us. So we see that it says their eyes were prevented from seeing him. He said, uh, Jesus, a mighty uh, a prophet, mighty in word and deed and in sight of God. Now, he was all of those things. But it has been three days since this happened. Right. Well, what's the when you hear three days since this happened, what do you immediately think of? On the third day, he arose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. Remember that? But did you know that the Old Testament tells us that in three days he would rise again? If you turn back and read the the story of Jonah, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then the, the, the fish vomited him up on the beach. Remember? And you know what Jesus said about that? In the same way that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, even so must the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. You see, God had already told us what was going to happen through the life of Jonah. And Jesus amplified that and showed us that, hey, that was the plan all along. Right? So, uh, in verse 22 to 24, it says, The women among us amazed us. They were at the tomb earlier. They didn't find his body. There was no body there. And they came and said that they'd seen a vision of angels. Who said he was alive. Some of them that were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman said. But to him they did not see. They didn't see him. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the although your life story is very important and your personal testimony is very important, your personal testimony is not going to convince somebody of who Jesus is. Amen. If an angel was to come and hang over your bed tonight and say, believe in me, the Bible says you still won't believe. Jesus said it in the, the, the parable of the story of Lazarus. He said, oh, Father Abraham, go and please, if you can't save me, at least go tell my five brothers about this place. Yes, amen. And what did Abraham say? He said, they have Moses and the prophets. If they will not believe them, they would not believe it if a dead man came back and told them so. Amen. You see? So it's not visions and testimonies that save people. It's the Word of God. It's the promise of God that saves people. And so many times our lives, we're, we're depending on and counting upon our personal testimonies, our life experiences, the things that other people have told us about Jesus to be what convinces us of who He is. But the reality is it's only the promise of God alone. It's only the scriptures alone that can truly change the human heart and give us the faith to believe. Yeah. It's through the power of God's word and the power of God's spirit that we become believers. Amen. Okay. So I want us to look at the next verse, verse what he said. Look at verse 25 through 27. Jesus said to them, you foolish men. Oh, you foolish men. What does it mean to be a fool? It means to be someone who lacks wisdom. Someone who lacks understanding. You foolish men. Slow of heart. Now, that's not talking about uh, like uh, to have a slow heartbeat. That's not what it's talking about. Slow of heart to believe in all that what? 
the prophets have spoken. You are foolish and you do not believe what the prophets told you. Now remember, a prophet is someone who speaks for God. God gives them a message and they relay that message to others. All right. I am not a prophet. I'm a preacher. I take what the prophet said and open them up. Prophets were ones sent by God to declare his message. So often when we think about prophecy, we think about the stuff that's going to happen down the road. And the reality is prophecy is what God has spoken. So prophecy does consider what happens down the road. Do you know why a prophet can prophesy and say that something is going to happen later? Because God has decreed it, God has said it, and it will happen. If God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. There's no change in that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so one of the reasons that an Old Testament prophet could prophesy and say that something would happen was because God is the one that gave him the words to speak. And we have those words. Many men have died for these words. And so we see he says, You foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets said, Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer? These things and to enter in his glory, then beginning, watch now, this is, this is the focus of our text today. Then, beginning with Moses and with the prophets, he interpreted to them all of the things concerning him in the scriptures. So he began with Moses and the prophets. If you'll look down past that verse and go down to verse 44 to 47, he first reveals himself to the to these disciples on the road to Emmaus, but in a few minutes he's going to come to the upper room and reveal himself to his disciples, and he's going to say the same thing. Look at verse 44 to 47. He said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all of the things written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And look at the next line. Then he opened their eyes to understand what? Their feelings? The scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead. The third day that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name in all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So beginning with Moses and uh, the prophets and the Psalms, he began to open up their eyes that all of the scriptures were about him. What does he use to open their eyes? The scriptures. Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Well, what is that? It's the Old Testament. Now, what we forget sometimes as New Testament Christians is that there is an Old Testament. Sometimes in our dispensational thinking, we forget that there's a big story. We get so caught up in one little age or one little part of history that we lose sight of the big picture. See, the Bible is Genesis to Revelation, Alpha to Omega. It's all of the scriptures. And when Jesus and Paul and Peter and James and John preached the gospel, they preached it from Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. It was going to be 60 years after Jesus ascended into heaven before they penned the first verse of John 3.16. 
Paul didn't run around and say, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, who whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Now, he did proclaim that because that was the message. But those words were not penned until John penned them uh, 60 years later, 60, 70 years later. You see, when Peter, James, John, Paul, and all their disciples, and Jesus preached the gospel, they preached it from the Old Testament. Yes. They used the Old Testament. Most of us in this room are not even comfortable to go and share the gospel with our neighbor with a New Testament. Yes. Because we're afraid, well, they might ask me something that I don't know. Yes. Well, they're going to ask you something you don't know. Because we don't know it all. Amen. But the point I'm making is this. Are you comfortable enough to take the Old Testament scriptures and preach Jesus through the Old Testament? Can you see him in the Old Testament? There's a little book that goes around. Your kids probably have it called Where's Waldo? Right? And it's a painting with a bunch of stuff all over, like a jigsaw puzzle kind of painting. And you have to find this one little man with a striped shirt and a striped hat in there. Well, I ask you, when you read the Old Testament, find Jesus. He's there on every page. So really quickly, I want to break aside from the text itself, and I want to explain to you some of the ways that we see Jesus in the Old Testament. How are some of the ways that I can see Jesus in the Old Testament? Number one, we can see him through genealogies. What is a genealogy? Family tree. We're in our Bible studies on Monday nights. We're studying the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob right now, are we not? Well, did you know that when you get to the New Testament and you read in Matthew and Luke, it says so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so. And you skip over that to get to the story. But the reality is the writer of Matthew and the writer of Luke is establishing the fact that Jesus is the son of Abraham. Yes. And Jesus is the son of Jacob. And Jesus is the son of David. Because he had to be, the Messiah had to be Jewish, and he had to be from the kingly line. And it's very important that we see that. The family tree of Jesus is so important because not only is he a son of Adam, he's a son of Abraham, he is a son of David. And the Old Testament says that the Messiah has to be a son of Adam, he has to be a son of Abraham, and he has to be a son of David. Yes. And when he came, he lived out. Who the Old Testament said he was going to be. So we see him through genealogies. Number two, we see him in prophecies. We see him in prophecies. I want to show you really quickly uh, something uh, in Isaiah. If you'll turn with me quickly to Isaiah chapter 53. If you have your Bible with you. I'm going to just read a couple of verses really quickly for you out of this passage in Isaiah 53. Now remember... Isaiah was a prophet, and he lived about 700 years before Jesus uh, clothed himself in humanity and walked among us. Listen to what Isaiah says. Surely our griefs and uh, he himself is bore. This is Isaiah 53, 4. Or we'll start in 3. He was despised and forsaken of men. He was a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we, we did not esteem him. Verse 4, he, our griefs he bore, our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed and stricken. He was smitten of God and afflicted. Look at verse 5. He was pierced through for our transgressions. Now remember, the Romans had not even invented crucifixion yet when Isaiah wrote this. 
The death sentence of crucifixion was not even established. They didn't even hadn't even invented it yet. But what does it say? This man is going to be pierced through for our sins, for our iniquities. Verse 6, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned his way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Look at verse 9. His grave was assigned with the wicked, and yet he was with a rich man in his death. Y'all hear Joseph of Arimathea? He was a rich guy, wasn't he? And what did he do? He gave him a tomb to bury Jesus in. So all of these prophecies are saying, this is what your Messiah is going to look like when he comes. And it was written 700 years before he ever showed up, and he fulfilled every one of them to the T. Think about that. How can that happen? Because God is the one that decreed it would happen. God is the one that set the plan in place. And God made sure that it happened. And not only that, he made sure that some prophets knew that it was going to happen and declared it ahead of time. I'll quickly remind you of one more prophecy and then we'll get back into another way to see Jesus. In the book of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, after Adam and Eve had fallen, God cursed the serpent and he said, the seed of a woman is going to crush the serpent's head. God made a prophecy in the Old Testament that said, one day a woman is going to have a baby that is going to crush the serpent's head. You, serpent, will bruise his heel, but he is going to crush your head. So what God is telling Adam and Eve is one day a woman, not a man, is going to have a baby that's going to get you, devil. Yes. You deceive them, you trick them, you cause them to fall. But one day, through this sinful man and this sinful woman, one day a woman is going to have a baby that's going to get you. He's going to crush you. Yes. Think about that. What he's saying is, is that it's the, it's the prophecy of the virgin birth. He didn't say one day a man's going to have a kid. He said one day a woman's going to have a child. Yes. It's going to And did you know that, you remember the story in Egypt? How Pharaoh tried to kill all the little Hebrew children? Why? Because the serpent was empowering him to try to wipe out the promise before it could get him. Amen. You remember what Herod did when they found out Jesus, the king, was born? What did he do? He went and killed all the male children. Yes. Why? Because he was trying to eliminate the promise of God. The devil knows the Bible. And he believes it more than most of us do. Amen. You see how that works? So we see him in prophecies. Next we see him in types and shadows, right? Types and shadows. What is a type or a shadow? A type or shadow could be something like any of you that are in the architecture. Uh, 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 an architect will give you a, a plan uh, and to build a building. And there will be all of these specs and, and figures and facts and lines and, and it all just looks like paper to me but that architect can give that to some construction people and they can build it up and make a house out of it all right and if a hurricane comes i want the house not the the, the architect's plan i want the real thing i want to be in the house and be protected but that type that shadow is this is what the house looks like these are the speculations. These are where the walls go. These are where the kitchen is. This is where the living room is. This is where the attic is. And it gives you all of this, these types and these shadows of who Jesus is. And then one day they come to fruition and you see the building. The Bible says in John 1, 14, it says, The Word became flesh Amen. and tabernacle dwelt among us. Yes. What does it mean? God clothed himself a minute in humanity and showed us who he was. So all of these types and all of these shadows point us to the reality that is Jesus. I'll give you an example. 
shepherds. How many shepherds can you think right off the top of your head in the Bible? Right? Moses was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. All through the, all kind of shepherd. King David was a shepherd, wasn't he? Yes. Right? And then King David, the great, 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 42 generation great granddaddy of Jesus said this. The Lord, God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the water. We all know that. I heard an old preacher say something. I would rather know a preacher that knows the shepherd than one that can recite Psalm 23. Like it's good to be able to recite Psalm 23 as the word of God. But some people can read it because they know the words. Some people read it because they know the shepherd. But the point I'm making is this. Jesus' great, 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 great granddaddy said the Lord. He wrote that. He was a shepherd. He, he raised sheep and he was saying, in the same way that I take care of these sheep, God takes care of his people. God is the good shepherd. Yes. And then about 800 years later, Jesus comes along and stares down a group of men that are fixing a nailing to a cross and said, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for my sheep. Now I want you to think about what Jesus is saying right there. Because in the same way that we sing hymns in, in, at church, the book of Psalms is the Jewish hymn book. In the same way that me, you sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the rest like me. Jesus as a kid, 12 year old kid in the tabernacle would have been singing, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Yeah. That's their hymn book. And Jesus stared those Jewish men who had been singing that Psalter all of their lives and said, you've been singing about me this whole time. Yes. I'm the one you've been singing about. Right? Jeremiah said, you strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Yes. Remember what happened when Jesus was arrested? What did his disciples do? Scatter. Right? It's all prophecy. It's all types and shadows. It's all a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. Now, not only do we see him in genealogies, prophecies, types and shadows, we see him in theophanies. Now, that's a big fancy word. And it's very simple. Theo is the prefix for what? Theology is the study of God. Theo, God, theology, study of God. Theo, and phaneru is a Greek word that means phantom or appearance. So theophany is an appearance of God. It's very simple. It sounds fancy, but it's really a simple word. And what we find out is all through the Old Testament, Jesus was showing up. Now, he was not showing up as a man. Why? Because he did not become a man until he clothed himself in flesh. But he was God. Remember the angel of the Lord that met uh, Joshua with the sword drawn? It didn't say an angel of the Lord. It said the angel. And for those of y'all who uh, uh, love the King James Bible, if you go in there and look, it's, that angel is capitalized. There's a reason for that because they knew who it was. So he appears He appears all through the Old Testament reminding them of who he is. Okay, so we've gotten that established. The whole entirety of the Old Testament points us to Jesus. That's the point of it. And sometimes we can get so caught up in the stories and the details, but then we get caught up in the details the other night talking about the family tree of Jacob. Did y'all know that Jacob had 
two wives and then their handmaids. And so he had four uh, he had four baby mamas, if you will, in, in modern lingo, right? Right? And how can you keep up with that? A family tree with four women that had 12 kids, 13 if you count Dinah. But the reality is, is all that we get so caught up sometimes in the details and the stories that we forget that Jesus is there. He's always there. And the scriptures were given to us so that we can understand him. Yes. And that was the mistake that these uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus were making. That's the mistake that these disciples in the upper room were making. They were so focused on their circumstances their experiences, the visions that they had had, their misunderstandings, their misconceptions, and just the weight and gravity of life that they missed the author of life. They didn't see. So what does the good shepherd, what does the good teacher do? He points them back to the scriptures. Let me remind you one more time. We'll wind down here, I promise. Verse 24, uh, Luke 24, 25 through 27 says, He said to them, O you foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all of the prophets, he interpreted to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. All of the prophets. That includes Habakkuk or Habakkuk, however you want to say that. Right? It's proper to say it either way. How many of y'all, when we get to heaven one day, and Habakkuk's going to walk up to you and say, Did you like my book? And you're going to have to, I'll be honest and say, I couldn't even find it. There's only one page, two pages. But did you know that Martin Luther used the book of Habakkuk? And the Apostle Paul used the book of Habakkuk to proclaim, The just shall live by faith. That's where Paul got that from. Paul didn't just make that up out of his head. Paul was studying the prophets. And an old prophet, almost a thousand years before Paul ever walked the earth, said, hey, the just will live by faith. Yes. And so Paul said, hey, that's good. I'm going to put that in Romans. Now, granted, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what he wrote. But the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to look back on what the old prophet said, to proclaim that prophecy now. And then Martin Luther one day stood up in front of a church and said, no. It's not by works of righteousness that you are saved. You are saved by faith alone. And Luther wasn't standing on visions. He wasn't standing on feelings or emotions. He was standing on God's word. That's what he told him. He said, I stand on God's word and by it I have to live and die. There's nothing else that I can do. It's by just, the just will live by faith. And Luther was proclaiming what Paul had proclaimed. Paul was proclaiming what Habakkuk had uh, proclaimed, and Habakkuk was proclaiming what God had proclaimed. Yes. It's by God's word alone that we know him. So let's let's wind down here. Uh, I want you to look one more thing uh, in the text itself. In verse. Uh, 
44, he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all of the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Back in 41, it said they could not believe for their joy. Now think about that. The two children on the road to Emmaus could not believe because of their sadness. Now these disciples are so overwhelmed with joy. I can't believe we all said this before. I can't believe it. If you bought a winning lottery ticket for a billion dollars, you would look at it and say, I can't believe it. You're not going to buy it, so you might as well not play it. But the point I'm saying is, when great things happen to us, we say what? I can't believe it. I don't deserve this. And that's exactly what had happened. God had expounded the scriptures to these men and through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the power of his word, he opened up their minds and their hearts to understand it. And they were overwhelmed with joy. And the proof was in the pudding. All of those Old Testament prophecies were now standing before them saying, touch my hand, touch my feet. Yes. I promise you and I kept my promise. And you and I in this room today, the only thing that we have that we can put our hope and our trust in, and the only thing that we need, is Jesus Christ and his, Him as He is proclaimed through His Word. Amen. That's the hope that we have. Because in the same way that He kept His promise to those disciples that He was going to come and die and bury, be buried and three days later raised again, in the same way, he has promised us that I'm going to prepare a place for you and soon I will come again and there you will be with me also. He also promised that those who do not believe would be told, depart from me. I never knew you. God's promises not only include his grace and his mercy, but his holiness and his justice. And apart from a faith in Jesus Christ, God forbid any of us in this room hear the words, depart from me, I didn't know you. How do we know him? Through his word, through his promises, through the power of his spirit. And for those who do know him, the promise is, is that one day you will inherit a new heaven and a new earth, an eternal kingdom that will never fail, will never fade. There will be no sadness, no tears, no sorrow. And that promise is just as real as that empty grave in Jerusalem right now. Amen. And that promise is always, always going to be based on thus saith the Lord. Yes. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together today. <clears throat> thank you for being a good teacher. And thank you for sharing your words with us. Thank you for sharing your love with us. Thank you for sharing your promises with us. And Lord, my prayer is that every man and woman in this room knows those promises in their heart. They have received you, they have believed you, and they have trusted you. I pray if there be one man or one woman here today who has never trusted your promises, but have heard those promises, that you would open their hearts and their eyes to know you, to see you, to trust you, to receive you, to believe you. That you would work that beautiful work of salvation that you perform on all of those who love you and call upon your name. So, so be with us now in this coming week. Please help us to take these truths and, and dig into these truths for ourselves and to, to live out these truths among a world who simply does not accept them. 
Give us the strength, the wisdom, the knowledge, and the power to be able to go out and share these promises with our family, our friends, and our loved ones, and to anyone that you place in our path. Thank you so much for all that you do, especially for sending your son Jesus to save a broken people like us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we get ready to close, I think we have a final hymn. Is that Okay, before we have a final hymn, I do want to remind anybody, if there's someone here today who is still struggling with faith or, or trust in Christ and you know in your heart that God is working in your life, please find one of the deacons or myself, somebody, and talk about it. Find somebody that can open up the scriptures with you and help you to realize who he is and to know who he is. So uh, thank you again for your time, and God bless you all. Next week, we're gonna, I want to give you a cheat code if you want to go ahead. and uh, Next week, we're going to be in the book of Numbers, and we're going to do the serpent in the wilderness. That's the story that we're going to do next week. So if you don't like snakes, you might want to bring some earplugs because we're going to talk about snakes next week. The serpent in the wilderness. Huh? I'm not gonna, I will not bring any snakes. No, I will not. God bless. <laughs>